Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Alex McIntosh. Originally from Canada, Alex has called Budapest home since 2018 and before moving to Hungary, he lived in South Korea for several years. Upon arriving in Budapest, Alex was really shocked to see such numbers of people living on the street. He explains that he didn't feel that putting spare change into people's cups would have much effect in helping the person or help address the overall issue. So he set up the Budapest Street Project. His initial idea was to create something to sell as a souvenir and donate some proceeds to charity, but it soon began to grow into something bigger. Good deeds events, people volunteering to do simple but kind things for people in need, like-minded artists who want to use their talents to help the community, and forward-thinking businesses who understand the importance of growing together. To raise funds for the Budapest Street Project, they create art prints and sell them. Half of the funds go directly to a shelter or cause, the other half goes back into the project. Alex tells us more about the art and the artists. You'll be intrigued to hear about Alex's experience of volunteering while in South Korea and how that influenced his decision to set up Budapest Street Project. You can find more details at their website, budapeststreetproject.com. After the break, we hear more about Alex's expat story. As he recalls, I was selling door-to-door in Ottawa and I needed an hour to think about quitting Canada and going to live and work in South Korea. There's a lot more to it than that, but yeah, a really interesting backstory to how he got to where he is today. Alex details why he chose Budapest, the Paris of the East, how he gravitated to soft skills training and running workshops in the city, and we also find out about how his Toastmasters experience has helped him working with entrepreneurs, startups, and small business owners. Finally, the top five features Harry Styles, hmm, The Killers, Budapest Part for Gigs, what's the connection between psychologist Alan Watts and the rapper Logic, 21 Pilots, no, that's not the answer to the first question, the band, 21 Pilots, and being followed back on Instagram by the Tragically Hip, one of Canada's finest bands. Without further ado, Alex McIntosh. So this little, it's not a foundation. It's, a, it's an organization, a big project. And we do a couple of things. We organize volunteers to do Good, good deeds with the uh, homeless community and organizations that support them. And we also raise money through selling local artists' work. And uh, the proceeds are split between the artists and homeless organizations as well. So I'm one of the artists. And you can see one of my pieces behind me here. Cool. And uh, I print using the manhole covers on the street. That's what, nice. what I do. And we have a graphic designer. We have a pen and ink artist. We have a photographer. And uh, that's it so far. And so we're, we're pulling artists together. They're not all, um, they're not all Hungarians. They're mostly foreigners. So there's a, a German guy, 
an Iranian guy, me, and a Hungarian woman. So we're, we're slowly but surely bringing more artists on board and more homeless organizations on board as well. And so this, the type of things that we want to do are, we want to harness the foreigner community to do good things because these days more and more, a lot of us don't have that sense of community, especially as, as foreigners. And if you take away the religious angle, which, which you know, most of us aren't religious anymore, that provided the community angle, you know, the community, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe the more outlet. traditional aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the church was, was, was great for a few things, you know, and, and becoming a sense of community was, was one of them. So that's gone. And I think people feel like they, like, the, you know, tits on a board over here as foreigners, not speaking the language. Hungarians really it's it's a it's way harder than Korean. <laughs> yeah, you certainly, you certainly picked the languages there, Alex. <laughs> and uh, I say that not having learned as much Korean as I needed to. So when I come up against an even more difficult language, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of tourists here. There were a lot of tourists here, and of course, tourists buy stuff. And most of the souvenirs that the shops are just full of, you know, machine-made stuff. Yeah, a lot, and, of, a lot of kitsch, you know, just yeah, kind of exactly. stuff, stuff like uh, French exactly. magnets and whatnot. You know? Yeah, so we wanted to provide a an alternative to that, something that's handmade, something that is made by people who are here. And when people hang it up, then uh, they remember that half of the proceeds went to the homeless community. They can feel good in their their um, donation. They have a story to tell about it. And the piece tells the story as well, because it's everything is Budapest related. So, so that's the kind of the, the product side and um, the volunteer activities, we call them good deeds events. We basically just, we try to chip in. You know, I, I pulled together last month was 10 volunteers. This month, I think we have 13 or 14. And um, we ask um, homeless organizations you know, organizations that support the homeless, whether it's shelters or, you know, like a Habitat for Humanity type of a thing. Sure. Uh, we ask them where they need help. And then for one afternoon a month, we, uh, they put us to work. And last month we were in a shelter playing board games with uh, the homeless residents there. It was pretty fun, actually. A lot of great feedback from that. And we also helped out with, it's called Streets to Homes. It's kind of like Habitat for Humanity. And this is, it's really cool I, I'm not familiar with Habitat so much as just the name, but what Streets to Homes does is they take donations from, you know, a whole bunch of people and they make it happen. So they, there was a piece of land donated, the building supplies were donated, the engineer was volunteering, and we were there to help just sort some uh, roofing tiles. But it was really cool to see how many, you know, many hands make light work. Yeah. When you're building a house to give to a homeless family, it's a every little bit feels good you know the the feedback from the volunteers has been like off the charts and like people having emotional you know moments and you know people saying like this is the the i'll remember this for forever and really making an impact and all we're doing is sorting roofing tiles you know but it's more you than you say only but this is just another cog in the wheel right or i don't mean another yeah. cog in the wheel but it's a an important if not the most important but it's it's an integral part of what the whole project is. Yeah, and every little bit counts. And if it wasn't for someone sorting those roofing tiles, there would be no roof, you know? There you go, exactly. Um, a lot of the people are young and they've never done anything like this before, you know, outside of high school, bottle drive or, or what have you. They have never done anything on their own 
to help someone else. And, and it, 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 it's powerful. Yeah. So I, I'm, I love being the leader of that and bringing people together. And it's, it's a lot more work than I initially <laughs> imagined, but that's okay. Demanding and rewarding in equal measures, maybe. And a pain in the ass at times and like <laughs> ridiculous at other times. But overall, I get the good feeling. Uh, is the bureaucracy hard to get around? Or what makes it a, a pain in the ass? Because you're dealing with people and egos and language barriers and cultural barriers and, you know, people have bad and bad moods. And I guess it's just a people thing. And when I, I'm talking about myself and all of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, at least, you're, at least you're keeping it real, man. You know, if nothing else, you know. <laughs> a little diva strop here now and again doesn't do, it, doesn't, doesn't do us any harm, does it, you know? It's a little Mariah Carey somewhere right, inside. Yeah, you know, a little tab trouble then. Give me a minute and I'll be fine. You know, I can I'll go back into my zone. So the everything's at BudapestStreetProject.com. And the the Good Deeds event is there and the web shop is there. And you can read all about the, our mission and our drives with us and the artists and the partners that we have at the moment. The, the overarching kind of goal for this is that every some, one day, again, every city will have tourists that want to buy something. And uh, most cities have homeless people in them. And every city's got manhole covers and artists that create uniquely uh, unique pieces of art. I think one day, you know, like Tom's Shoes was kind of the, the, the one that the, the company that made it part of their their profit model that they would share profits. Right, yeah. I think someday every company will be, well, you know, it's kind of like the green movement, but maybe it'll, it'll be more leverage and, and companies that don't actively support the community will will fade away. It'll be part of the new economy someday that everyone's doing something like this. But um, we're doing this here in Budapest and things are, are getting they're, they're growing as fast as we can find volunteers, but um, the next city, I'm not sure where it's going to be, but I'm, I'm, I, got, I'm, I got my eye on the map already. About where I want to go. What's the most challenging part of it then, Alex, uh, with the, the, the minor strops here and there? What kind of yeah. hurdles do you face putting? Is it just kind of a, an organizational thing that you were saying about getting the same group of people in the one place at the same time and then having that project in mind to finish? Oh, I would say the hardest, the most challenging thing is is people have a lot of distrust about charity and about, you know, proceeds go to this group. Well, that's how much really goes to that group and how much goes to the processing fee. You know, this kind of pushback we get sometimes. Other than that, it's been lovely. And people actually, when you're trying to help homeless people, most people just get the hell out of the way, you know, and they, they want to help if anything, or like share a connection or suggest something that we can do, like, especially with the products or, you know, like it was funny because um, this is one of the, this is not for sale. This is one of the first ones that we did on the street. And um, I had this lady, she's a marketing lady. And she, she asked me, she's like, um, you know, what would be so nice is if you could personalize the, the prints and you could write someone's name on it. And I said to myself, I've never heard a worse idea actually, like to put the kitsch back into it, you know, mm -hmm. like ever since then, I think I've heard that suggestion a dozen times. So, <laughs> there must be something in it there, Luke. Eventually, I guess I'm going to have to start doing it. Um, it just, it's, it's things like that. People want to help and people try to help and they, they, they feel the need to help. And one of the reasons why I, I, I started this, I got involved in it, is there's two reasons, actually. I volunteered in South Korea 
for Manon Group. It was the it was linked to Shincheonji. It was like a scandal. So I was volunteer. I was in a cult. I was helping to progress the agenda of a cult and didn't know it. I was teaching uh, English to Chinese university students, and the whole uh, like the the guys that they sold me on was that these were poor Chinese. Uh, university students. They were here on scholarship. They didn't have money for English lessons. And this is what they wanted me to do. I said, okay. So I went in and I was there for a couple months, once a week. And every time at, uh, after my lesson, someone from Manon would come in and start speaking in Chinese to them. And uh, I had no idea what they were saying. And I, one day I asked, I was like, so, you know, how long does this go on for? Because I was hoping to, you know, Sometimes you have a drink or you have something to eat with the students and they were sure. university, right? And it's, you know, it's a, just a different group that I'd never really had uh, met before. But they, they couldn't because they had to do this, this Manon thing. And so I asked the, the lady, like, what, are you, what is she talking about? And she's just like, oh, we're just talking about the organization and how they can volunteer and this and that. And what ended up coming out was that what they would do was after I would have my lesson, someone from the organization would come in and say, you've just received a free English lesson. The way that, that you can help someone else is by telling them all about this organization and bring your friends in. Of course, people are, are the currency in a cult. When the cover was like blown off that uh, Manon was actually part of Shincheonji, I quit right away. I sent a letter to my supervisor and then I sent a message with the evidence to um, the other teachers, but uh, foreign teachers. But I think they were in too deep and, and the, the messages, I got, the response I got back was, uh, don't believe everything that you read. And these are, these are good people and this and that. But the, the, the evidence was irrefutable that it was like all these direct links to this cult. So having that experience, I kind of, you know, was once bitten, twice shy to, to join other volunteer groups. So I wanted to do something, but um, putting money in the cup doesn't feel very good, especially for, it doesn't feel very good for very long. And this was the only option as a foreigner. And I, I knew that the millions of tourists that come here every year, they're faced with the same issue. They can't communicate. They don't want to put money in a cup because they know it doesn't go to the right place, but it's heartbreaking and they want to do something about it. And so what Budapest Street Project does is gives them the opportunity to do something about it, whether it's buying something and um, having their money go to a good place or is volunteering themselves and getting their hands a little bit dirty and feeling that community feeling again that, um, that the money just can't buy. No, that's a great thing, I think. And, and I think we're all kind of curious about, you know, on some level, especially when, you know, the, the, the hard cases are, you know, they're the hard cases, but it's when you see someone who, who doesn't seem like they're that many, you know, steps away from a normal life that makes you wonder. And one thing about going into the shelter and doing this good deeds event where we played board games with them, the board games were really just a distraction from or a temporary distraction from the conversation. And what I invited all the volunteers to do was between hands of Uno or, you know, when you're setting up the chessboard after a game, to ask questions and to share your story. And especially as a foreigner, you know, foreigners are very, we're, we're topics of interest to, to mm. locals. And the question I get 
so many times is why did you come here <laughs> right, stay yeah. here like that and um and you know the grass is always greener type of a thing but um this is something that i don't know in a way i think gives hungarians hope to see foreigners coming in you know it's kind of like proof positive that this is a good place and it's not a shithole and it's you know but there's still a lot of that cold war mentality in the in the hearts and minds of Hungarians who feel that you know this is this is uh, there's no way out of this place you know it's not a, a place to prosper but um, I like to think differently and what what I wanted to mention about the the, the shelter was that it, it was mind blowing how even my own experience the first one that we did was like I was expecting at least one person to be screaming. I was expecting at least one person to need security to step in and tell them to calm down. I was expecting at least one argument between two of the residents. It was like everyone was on their best behavior. It was it was great. And the conversation was flowing. The people were laughing, having a good time. And there was one person who we thought worked there. And we were, I was surprised he sat down to play a game of chess with somebody, but that's okay. Why not? It's The workers should get yeah, involved too. And so when we were leaving, I asked them, who was the young guy, the, the worker? And they were like, no, no, he's a resident. And it's every minute I spent there, the more I realized that this is just kind of like a hostel for people that don't have a lot of money. And to take up, take away that homeless label really makes things a lot more clear about what the issue is and the problem is and this kind of thing. And not all of them are, especially the ones that we saw, didn't see any drunk people. Nobody smelled bad. Nobody was like shitting themselves or, you know what I mean? Like these are all stereotypes that I had. Exactly. And I'm, I started this little thing. So it was mind blowing. And, um, we hope to do a lot more of them. And by, by this time next year, we're hoping to have good deeds events in every homeless shelter in Budapest and work with every group that will, that will take us because there's something for everyone to do. And if homeless people aren't your thing, well, you know, you can pick up a shovel and do that with your buddy and have a laugh and it's fun. You don't work your ass off, you just work. And it's different when you're not getting paid because you can kind of relax and have fun. You're there on your own free will. You you could just drop the shovel and walk away, but it's knowing that you can do that it kind of makes it more, I don't know, valuable or something. Yeah. There's a certain kind of, uh, not just an ethical thing to it, but your team bonding, whatever you want to call it, you know, you're having a good time with people you might have just met or you've met them a few times or you're friends with them. And then, you, as you said, it's like the common goal. Um, the last thing I want to, uh, before we move on, uh, I, I was expecting that uh, we never talk, even talked about one bar of music yet, but what's all one of a the good guy, time. Yeah. <laughs> one of my, uh, about uh, two years ago, one of my clients, he's um, a really interesting job. He does slacklining with teams, it's like team building, slackline training. Put the slack lines way up in the tree, everyone's harnessed in. And they're doing these trust exercises, you know, where you cross your arms and the equivalent of that, but way the hell up in a tree, harnessed up, like awesome, awesome job. Insurance premiums a little bit high. <laughs> I can um, imagine. <laughs> but they did like disaster um, scenarios and stuff like, you know, like there's just been an earthquake and the team gets separated and, and they have to find each other with no, no gear and 
pretty cool stuff. But he told me a story about going to Hong Kong and participating in a slum simulation where it's like by a professional company and it's, it's not cheap and it's like a three-day thing. So the first thing you do is you give them all of your stuff. They give you old ratty clothes to put on and then they bring you to your to your um it's a it's a recreated slum so it's there's no actual danger but um they put you in there and you know that there's like 20 people you don't know you know so you're there for 20 minutes and you have i don't know if you he said that they gave him some money which you need to use the toilet even in the slum and uh you know they were there for 45 minutes and then someone came and kicked their 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 uh, house down and robbed them and said you have two choices if you want to make money either you know use your body or or you have to like whatever make these things and so now they're forced to work and it was for three days and they lived as a in a slum as in a simulation that they paid like I don't know, 1500 bucks for, and they were, they were monitored all the time and made sure that everything was okay. But it was, uh, like that, that, that's another, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but hmm. it was just fascinating to me that this experience exists. And if more people did stuff like that, you know, like not just go sleep on the street for a night, cause we've seen that before, but get the feeling that you have nothing, you know, except uh, like you said, your life in a plastic bag and how that makes you feel even for a day, you know, without anything, how that would affect the way you see other people and how grateful you would be for your shit, you know, that isn't that much, but at mm. least um, everyone sees the, the BMW or the Ferrari or the Bugatti rolling down the street instead of their own two feet. What you I mentioned feel. there, Alex, Excuse me, what you mentioned there, though, is like the the comfort zone thing, right? When people are, but in a kind of perverse way, you're paying for it, right? That's a bit weird as well, but uh, maybe it's the only way you really want to experience it, I'm, I'm sure. But yeah, this uh, idea of really being taken out of your comfort zone and given a proper shake and then given two choices, and this is these are your ultimatum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And either way, you're screwed. Yeah, either way, it's uncomfortable, yeah. Just you, you pick... It's either a short time, really uncomfortable, or a long time, semi-uncomfortable, you know? But these are the choices that people in the slums have to make every day. And they were based on real life conditions, and I don't know, it was amazing that it, that it even exists. Uh, Alex, how did you get to where you are today? Tell us a little uh, about your, your expat story. Okay. So in South Korea, I started in South Korea in 2004. I got a phone call from a friend who was working in Blindang at a, at a Hagwon called Iwa English Academy, which was later sued by the university successfully. And they changed their name to W Academy after the W Hotel, of course. So I got a phone call from my friend. His name's Oliver. We went to university together. And he said, yeah, we have a we have an opening at the school if you would like to come over and you need to be here in two weeks. It was, I was at the right place in the right time to get the hell out of where I was. It was living in Ottawa and I was working honestly as a door to door salesperson. That was my job. So I bounced, I, I, I told him I needed an hour to think about it. And I, I hung up the phone and I had the answer ready to go. So I started in 2004 and I stayed until 2006 and went back, came back to Korea in 2009, and I stayed there until 2018. 
So it's a good, it's a good stretch. Huh? It was a good, it was a good stint, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. You've earned your stripes, um, man. Yeah. <laughs> but but, at, but after that many years, you know, I, I was in the, I was doing the exact same thing for five years, like with the same, not the same clients, but at the same pay grade and the same level of confidence in myself and the money is, was amazing. I, and that's probably why I stayed for so long, but the lifestyle is so, so nice, you know? So I, I look back on those years with nothing but, but great memories. And I'm sure there's some bad memories in there too, but they have been smothered by all of the good, good nights. Glossed over and, a little um, bit. Yeah, exactly. I turned 40 and uh, I thought, uh, okay, up a little bit. And where should I go? And I was looking at Budapest, Barcelona, and Florence, Italy. Those are the three cities I got it down to. Eventually, though, I was I was looking at going to Dubai. You know, the uh, English teacher's financial dream come true, if you will. <laughs> and that was my initial initial plan was to come to come to one of these three cities for a short time to do the CELTA course, the English teaching course, which I didn't have. And because uh, that's what they needed in Dubai. And I have a buddy in Dubai he's from uh, Wales and he's been there for eight or nine years. He's making a mint, loves it. At least he says he loves it. But I came here to do the course and uh, in Budapest and uh, I really liked it. I told one of my um, Hungarian friends after a month of being here that I really didn't feel like going to Dubai and I really liked it here in Budapest. And he said, it's January. And I was like, yeah. He's like, if you like it here in January, you're going to love it in July. <laughs> and uh, that comment changed, changed, my, my, uh, changed my mind. So I'm still here. And I still haven't been to Dubai or Barcelona or uh, Florence. Yet. Yet. <laughs> we don't know when that day's coming. Eh? It's like, uh, yeah, I guess that's a podcast for another day, Alex. The, the whole when, when, when will we be able to move around? What was it that, yes. your time in South Korea, what was it that, not so much made you want to move on to the next place, but why these places in particular, like uh, Florence, Barcelona, and Budapest? Well, I was looking for the European experience, I guess. In uh, 2015, I went to Germany, Austria, and Czech Republic with my, my father and my brother, and uh, we, we loved it. Every place was, was interesting, full of history and, and, um, and friendly people, and just so much to explore in, a, in a, such a small space compared to Canada, you know, where you drive for eight hours and you might see something, <laughs> but um, you might see an old moose on the side of the road. But, um, but here is totally different. And the thing I liked about Barcelona, I don't know, for some reason, the, the, the city on the beach had me interested for a time. Uh, I read Michelangelo's biography uh, as a sleep aid years ago. Like as in, you know, you read this book, it'll make you fall asleep. It took me a few years before the book fell apart because of all the place names and the Medici's and all of this stuff. It, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult to read, but there's some really interesting bits about it. And um, it made me want to want to check it out. You know, after some internet searching, it, it seemed like Budapest was the place that fit my budget the most. There were some, some opportunities here. And it's nice and close to so many things. That, uh, in other countries. And then you look at the Google images and you're sold. It's like the uh, the center of Europe, more or less, right? That's what they call it. You know, it's the... Yeah, they call it the Paris of the East as well. Mm. Yeah. Eiffel, Gustav Eiffel designed a bunch of buildings here. So 
that's part of the allure as well. And there's a McDonald's in one of those buildings. True story. It's a little bit, yeah. uh, try to think of a good one to disagree, but it's a little yeah, ironic movie there. There we go. That's, yeah. that's maybe a yeah. for it. What about yeah. the, the, the settling in period then? Did you, can we talk about what you do in Budapest uh, with the organization? Sure. So, so I was an English teacher for 15 years and, and I, I, I did the, the English teaching course and I started to teach English here and, and the, the price per hour is so, so, so dismal that uh, even with the business English stuff. So I knew I, I couldn't survive just doing that. And so I, I met a few people, interesting people who were doing, who were trainers and doing soft skills training. And I like that a lot more. And I did a couple, I participated in a couple of, of those. And I used the CELTA training, which is kind of, they, it's more, they train you how to be a workshop leader more than an English teacher, I think, because it's these group dynamics and switching and, and all this stuff that's kind of tricky to do. So I used that CELTA training and I, I just booked a, a, a conference room and I made a, a, a Facebook event and I put on my first workshop with a friend. And we, we had a bunch of people together that we knew that showed up. So it, it went quite well and it was quite fun. It was enjoyable for us too, and as much as, um, as the attendees. And so from there, I, I tried more to focus on that stuff. So since 2018, we've done, you know, like interview skills, find your passion, um, elevate your elevator pitch, I've done a bunch of public speaking ones, a bunch of writing ones. And then I start, that was just me leading those ones. And then we started this little outfit called You Unlimited. I don't know, it's a cheesy name, but um, the Hungarians seem to like it. <laughs> and so we just started to put on workshops from other people too. So I would you know, meet an interesting person and I would ask them, if you had to give a workshop for three hours, what would you, what would you do? And most people, they have the answer right there. You know, it's what they're interested in. And so for, once I started doing that, we started to bring people in. Like one guy was doing psychology testing. He was a psych student. We have uh, an author from England who did a, a writing workshop on creativity. Some motivational guys, goal setting people. It started to build up a little bit, but then I wanted to do something every month, you know, that I could, because putting on something new and educating people about what it is, it takes, it takes a lot of effort. So ago, I started this magic of storytelling workshop. It's uh, every Wednesday for two hours. And then on the last week of the month, we have a big showcase where people take the stage and tell the, tell a story. So the, we started that last October. And this has kind of been my thing here in Budapest. So I'm kind of like the storytelling mentor, if you will. And most of what, most of what I do today is I help entrepreneurs, small business owners, and startups tell their story or give their pitch in a compelling way that, that has emotional impact in English because they're real good at doing it in Hungarian. But when it comes to English, it just doesn't have, it just kind of falls flat, you know? So what I do is help them with, uh, I'm not just a coach, but I'm, I also, I guess as a consultant, I give them suggestions and I, you know, float ideas and they use me as a sounding board and, and kind of together we, we come up with something that uh, we test and make sure that people think, is is enjoyable or it's good and and so I, I guess I do as much writing now as I um, as as instructing so what I do is kind of a it's a consultancy where 
It's a communication consultant is how I would define what I do. And would you say this is a, speaking earlier about comfort zones, how, how much out of your comfort zone were you in that transition period between where you were then to where you are now? Yeah. Well, I definitely had some, some moments of like, uh, of uncertainty and even in, in what I was doing in the early days, but I, I always seem to have an opinion or like, you know, a gut feeling about what would be the best course of action. And I think the reason for that came because I, I also did Toastmasters and I've been in Toastmasters for six years. That's all public speaking stuff. So I, I had a good four years of that before I, three and a half years of that before I started doing it. So I had, you know, lots of written, lots of speeches, helped people write their speeches. I've been a contestant on stage in a, in a few different uh, speech contests. So I, I'm familiar with the stage fright and how to overcome that. And so this is kind of how I, how I started. So people doing keynote speeches and conferences would find out about me. And, and this is how I first started. I was doing that and the workshops. And together, everything just kind of culminated together. And uh, how are things going for you? Actually, uh, COVID made things streamlined a little bit better for, for me, especially after the lockdown, because I was able to schedule stuff back to back for the first time. Usually you need 30 minutes in between to get to where you're going or yeah. you know, I, I know all about this too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so COVID allowed me to, to schedule, to serve more clients, as well as as forced me to think about my online uh, persona, I guess. And start to <laughs> consider, online presence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And start to think about, okay, I, I need to be making videos. I need to put stuff out there. I need to be more visible. And this has always been my issues is self-promotion and, you know, making a video like, call me, I'm your <laughs> storytelling, whatever. I, I, I shudder to think of myself doing that, but I know that I have to do it on some level. What about some plans for the future then? What, what do you have coming up in the rest of the year? Any big plans or plans for 2021 that you can fill us in on? I, I got too much, too much on the go, actually. I'm, I'm looking to cut down on stuff that I'm currently doing. I'd like to stop teaching English one-on-one -on -one altogether. That, that was my goal for last year, and I, I wasn't able to pull that off. But instead of teaching people one-to-one, -one, what I'd like to do is may have more of an impact. And I've been working on a, a pronunciation program like a video program this year and I started in January with that and I have a master excel sheet that I enter mispronounced words and phrases into so after every one of my classes I take my sheet and I input the the, the words so I have it's like I have I built like a frequency list of mispronounced words and this is what I, I use as my guide for these videos so you know this is the classic V and W mix up is is one of them but hungarians put their intonation on the first syllable kind of by default in as a, as a linguistic rule and that presents a whole host of problems when it comes to english as you know so it, it's a tough habit to break so it's something that that needs to be I think uh, structured methodical and, and a habit in order to do but but i've been able to break the habit with some of my longer term clients just by making them aware and then getting them to repeat and then use it in, in a freer uh, exercise. And so this is basically what I'm trying to do in the video series. I want to get it done this year. And the idea would be is that um, you do a little test and based on the test, you get some exercises that you need to do that target those sounds that you're, that you're missing. So this is the idea. That's what I, I, 
I, I'm hoping to finish this year and I have a video guy ready to, to go, but it's just, it's a ton of work because there's 44 units that, so far and that doesn't include like word links or collocations or these other fun things that happen in English a lot. At least in this respect, you're putting your CELTA to good use. I did the CELTA at the end of uh, 2017. I did mine in Glasgow in the, the beginning of winter, and it was a miserable month. It's a miserable month anyway, and it was just it was just horrendous. The weather was just off. But looking back now, there's a lot that I've taken from it and adapted it into what I do every day. Yeah. But yeah. I, what I quite like doing is actually today one of the the classes I had. It's a it's a mining company. They sell like mining technology to. Australia and the Far East and things like that, and they develop software and then they go and sell it to these countries who still do mining. And uh, whatever the book thing we're reading today, and one of the words in the book was ISLE, A-I-S-L-E. So I know, and I know this is coming up, right? So I'm like, okay, here we go. Who's going to ask me about the ISLE? And it was uh, the, the kind of chapter was talking about setting up a supermarket in a different country. So typical business. This is the context. And uh, so one of the guys, there's only f- four of them. Yeah, there's only four of them. And uh, one of them says, yeah, what, what's, how do I say this word, <laughs> right? Because it's like, so to kind of put it in a context with them, I gave them another word. I gave them Q. So like the British English version of standing in line. Yes. And of course it's Q-U-E-U-E. This just freaked them out even more. <laughs> you know, they were just like, but it's kind of doing little fun things like that to make the language a bit more accessible and to kind of show them that, yeah, we, we have funky things in our language too that we can't really comprehend or we can't, we do our best to explain it to you and how to use it, but we can't really tell you why, you know, this is some of the yeah, questions yeah. you get are, why is it like this? And you're just like, I'd yeah, I could do a deep dive into those questions, but it would take the rest of the lesson to, to try to unpack, you know, same with, uh, same with me. It happens all the time. Yeah. These little words that stand out. Um, the last thing I want to mention about busking is that there, there are two successful buskers here in the city that people do gather around and, um, and they're violinists, dueling violinists. Oh, really? And um, the, the night that I saw them, which was sometime before the lockdown, maybe in early March, they were just playing two songs back to back to back to back to back to back. And uh, I will give you... Uh, and your listeners, two guesses about what those songs were. Keep in mind, there's no lyrics, just violin. And you are, and everyone is fully aware of these two songs. And uh, I'll I give may- you a further hint. One of, one, of the, one of the songs has no lyrics at all. Is it like the theme from Jaws or something like that? Okay, you're <laughs> close, but Jaws is not the, it's not the right answer. I don't know, I'm thinking something along those lines. I remember seeing on YouTube or Facebook the dueling cellos, I think they were called. Yeah. It was like two Italian dudes, I think. Yeah. But no, you've got me stumped. So it was the, the theme to Game of Thrones. Ah, right, of course, yeah. Yeah, which was a big one. And the other one was Despacito. Ah, right. <laughs> but these guys are... Uh, actually, when I was in Munich in the summer there, there was uh, they weren't so good, though. They were, I mean, they could play and everything, but they were a bit half-arsed. Yeah. It was almost it was hot and stuff, so maybe they were just after 10 minutes of playing, they thought, 
yeah, bollocks to this, you know, <laughs> let's, let's go for a drink, you know, that's what yeah. it looked like. Yeah, and I maybe because it's loud and it's it, it's um you know because you can hear the, the those damn violins for forever away you know. Now to you um, and I we might call it a fiddle, right? That's the difference between a classically trained musician and you. And I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They both they both technically technically do the same thing, you know. They get people. Yeah. They get people off their off their feet. If you're not playing a fiddle, unless you're also stomping one foot. Exactly, you know. And someone there's a yeehaw in there or whatever or whatever whatever kind of uh, little little noise you like to make as you go along how about we have a look at a top five yeah sure tell us about a guilty pleasure someone you I, I always word this like this someone you shouldn't like but you do but i don't really mean it in the sense that you shouldn't like something it's just it might not be on your normal playlist let's put it that way okay so um that that's definitely going to be harry styles Ooh. And um, <laughs> every every time there's a song that comes out, it's uh, it, it, I kind of catch myself kind of, you know, that's a good beat or something. And then I hear the voice and I'm like, of course, it's, it's yeah. this this country is wild for uh, watermelon sugar right now. Okay. And that, I hear the song al- is that his single or the album? I don't know. It's the single right now, I believe. Yeah. So I call it my guilty pleasure because like I don't I I never go and, uh, you know, I never take the leap and get the album, but I do like the songs and I do, I sing them in karaoke sometimes. Oh. And, you'll, um, you'll dip in and out of it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just don't yeah. tell anyone, but it's too late now. It's out in the bag, you know. All right, Harry Styles, <laughs> there's a new one to add to the list. Okay, Alex, uh, let's flip that around then. Tell us someone that you think is overrated, someone that you just don't get. Oh, Okay. There's so many of these of these rappers that uh, I think maybe I'm just getting too old, Craig. But they all seem to sound exactly the same, and I wonder how are they all? They all have you know like AP watches and big gold chains, and where do they get this? Who's who's funding these people? Is what I want to know. <laughs> right. And and where are they getting all this money from? But because they all seem to blend together, and and just when. I think that there's no more room in the, the music scape for another one. There is, there is another one. I used to love Public Enemy. I, I listened to, I loved hip hop, you know, like even the old school stuff like Ice-T, Schoolie D, and who else? Uh, you ever heard like Ice-T and Body Count? Yeah, yeah, oh, like all that stuff I loved. Stuff. Yeah, it's great. So it's not, it's not the genre, it's just that I don't get these new guys and what they're on about and tattoos all over their face and stuff. It's taken a turn that I've outgrown a long time ago. I should tell you though, the Public Enemy just released an album the other day, uh, the name of which always escapes me, my memory is really rubbish, but it's a new album. They've reworked Fight the Power, like a 2020 version of it. And uh, I listened to it all day. I don't, must have been Sunday I listened to it all day, it's great. Oh, yeah? It's old school. They're back on Def Jam as well. And uh, Chuck D sounds fantastic. He's 60, man. And he sounds wow. fantastic, you know. And it's, it does, <laughs> it's uh, the guys from the Beastie Boys are on it and uh, Cypress Hill. There's a whole bunch of collaborations and stuff. But it's very, very, oh. very angry. Oh, I guess we can use the Korean. Uh, your go-to Noribang or karaoke song. So I like to I like to sing stuff that everyone knows the the words to that then they can sing along. So I try to pick pick songs like that. Let's say Sweet Caroline and Stand by Me and and all of those you know 
go-to songs that everyone knows the words to American Pie and The Joker and all those ones. So I like those ones a lot. I play those on the guitar as well. Some of the other ones that I, I can't really play are the some of the rap ones. Like I, I do like Eminem and uh, some Beastie Boys as well. And so I like to get, get that going as well sometimes. And there's, there's one that I do that... Um, it took for ages to, to get the hang of it, but it was a, it's a 21 pilots song and it's called ride. And there's like a singing part and a rapping part. And you really have to, the, the breaths need to be timed perfectly in order to get it, which is kind of what, what is kind of gamified singing, you know, rapping. You have to take your breaths in certain amounts in certain times or you can't get through it. And I enjoy that part too, that kind of the, the process. I've just seen or recently heard more of this band's what this 21 Pilots is. There's only two guys, right? It's a drummer right. and a guitar player, I think. And I saw this yeah. video where they actually take the drumsies onto like a little mini kit, like a kind of jazz type kit, and it, they drop it more or less into the crowd. Yeah, so they could, they could the drummer always being away at the back, of course, which is where we usually like to be, right? But yeah. you have 10,000 screaming girls at you, it's maybe worth your while to go to them once in a while, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they look as though they're having a good time, so kudos to them. Speaking of gigs, Alec, is there a, uh, Alex, excuse me, is there a favorite venue that you've, you've seen bands at or a, a venue that you've played at yourself that you really enjoy? Here in Budapest, there's a place called Budapest Park, and it's, it's the nicest outdoor venue I've ever seen, simply for the fact that the entire place is decked out with decking, like it's, it's, a, it's like a deck, like patio deck. Mm. And, uh, but there's no gap between the boards. So what that means, like it means no mud. You can wear whatever you want, basically. That means you can wear flip-flops in the summertime. Girls can wear high-heeled shoe if they want. And this is the comfort level. It's unparalleled at Budapest Park. They have uh, way more concessions than they need, bars on, on both sides, the full sides. Uh, the washrooms are free and plentiful. There's food, tons of food trucks there. And the place probably holds 25,000 people, standing room only, with a few elevated places with, that are sponsored VIP that aren't as fun as being on the main level anyway. And it's, um, it's at the edge of the city, but the thing was is that when COVID rolled into town, it pretty much ruined them. So we, I, I wasn't able to go this year. But what they were, they, they did do, thankfully it's owned by a, a big enough company that, that they're not going to have to shut it down forever. But uh, what they did do was they kind of turned it into a pub atmosphere, like a, like a giant pub with tables and chairs. And uh, I didn't go out for that, but, but I'll be back next year as soon as they have a, any concerts. And the concerts are about 10 bucks. That's another thing. So I saw... I saw Alice in Chains there, um, not for 10 bucks, but these bands that you used to love that are still touring with a couple of new guys that you've never Alice seen in, before. Alice in Chains' new stuff's really good, actually. It's, uh, I like the guy, the new singer, did. He plays yeah. guitar as well, right, if I remember. Yeah, right. yeah. But he's really good. I mean, he sounds completely different, of course, but he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they're really worth a yeah. shot. Yeah. There's a Hungarian band that they're, they're like a rock reggae band. They're called Irie Mafia. And uh, I, I've probably seen them 20 times. They're like a party band, but they only have their own songs. And they're really, really good. And they've got 
like a brass section and the keys and a full instrument. It's a, it's a proper big show and there's a, a Rasta guy and a, a white rapper guy and, a, you know, they've got all of the, <laughs> the bases characters. Covered. Yes, literally. <laughs> all of the bases and the outfield and <laughs> bench full. Yeah. Is, are they, uh, did he sing mostly in English or a bit of both? It's funny because they, they, they'll often do the verses in Hungarian and the chorus in English. Oh, there you go. I wonder how that could be, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's all about the hook here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, that takes us to the last question. And so other than that Hungarian band who were called something mafia? Irie, Irie Mafia. Irie Mafia. It's an interesting name. Other than Emma, Alex, who should we be listening to? Give us someone, uh, someone or something new we can put on our playlist. So if it's not already on there, if it's not already on there, I think everybody needs to put Imploding the Mirage by the Killers on their device. You probably heard the Killers back when the Mr. Brightside days. Well, they've evolved and and morphed into something bigger and better than those days, in my opinion. And, you know, there's, for example, there's one, one track with Katie Lang, which I recommend. It's called Lightning Fields. But that, that'll give you an idea of their, I guess, of their um, maturity. Is this their most yes. current album? Yeah, okay. I think the, the title rings a bell. I listened to them not long ago. So I, I think everybody knows their first two albums. They were kind of big and booming songs and Mr. Brightside. Yeah. Nobody told me and all of that stuff, right? Yes. And then uh, I listened to the third album. I actually watched some of them on YouTube and the songs are really not very good. The videos are really bad. I just like, this is rubbish. It was almost like they just gave up. They're like, yeah. So I'd, yeah. Been, I'd been meaning to go and check out some of their more recent stuff. But yeah, I quite like their earlier stuff. And I think they're, he's a, he's a good front man. He knows how to, when you see he the is, live yeah. stuff, he knows how to get them going and all that. And they're, they're quite exactly. a tight band. As you and the second one, if, I, if I'm allowed to have a second one, oh, uh, I'll like. take it from the, the hip hop genre, which is Logic and No Pressure. That's his newest one. So Logic is the, um, maybe the second most famous, third most famous white rapper who has something a little bit different to offer. If you're not familiar with Logic, I, I highly recommend him. He um, did the song with, with a K or a C. With a C, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, straight up as, <laughs> as you would, dictionary spelling of Logic. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a song with Eminem two years ago. This, the new one, he has, a, he has a baby now. And he, it's interesting because almost in almost every track, it's, he, he mentions the kid in there somewhere. So it's almost like a Where's Waldo in, 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 in <laughs> you know, audibly. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty cool. And, and a lot of the songs is just straight up him talking about how he's, he's still in the game, but just because he, he loves to rap and not because of the money and the fame and, and stuff. And he prefers, you know, shopping at Target than <laughs> going to wild parties. And so it's like the content of the rap is, is half of the reason why I like Logic. And the second, second reason is it's really catchy. And I was going to say good beats and all that kind yeah. of like the, the, the backbeat behind it all. The kind of the, the icing on the cake for, for Logic and for me, since COVID happened, I've been trying to, you know, be, be aware of the, 
what's it called? The doom scrolling, you know, where you're, where you're scrolling COVID death stat <laughs> after, you know, in industry crash after. <laughs> and so I've been turning to YouTube and kind of niching out some stuff. And I, I, I found Alan Watts. He's a British psychologist from the 1950s and 60s who has these long talks about existentialism and the way we should think and the way things are. And, and his, his message is kind of coming back again. And I, I hear him like in the most uh, unusual places, including one of Logic's latest tracks called Dark Places. That sounds really interesting, man. Uh, uh, even in a side note as a musical, interesting musical content. And actually it makes sense because Logic, his original name was Psychological and he shortened it to Logic and Alan Watts is a philosopher and psychologist. So it would make sense that th- that they would be revolving spheres colliding at some point. If I can do a little name dropping myself, I, I think it was yesterday. Uh, it kind of made my day yesterday. It was uh, the Tragically Hip followed me back on Instagram. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, now, I now have like 300 and some followers or whatever, but that kind of made my day, man. The Tragically Hip, you know, that way it was like a random time in the afternoon and the messages came up on my phone and I opened it up and it's, the tragically hip followed you back. I thought, yes, I've made it. Right, there we go. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I feel like um, I'm, I've not been doing my duty as a Canadian, suddenly. Sort yourself out, Alex. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, yeah. thanks, thanks very much for your time. It's been great catching up with you and uh, sharing all of your stories with us. And tell us once again where we can find more about the project. Sure. It's BudapestStreetProject.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and, and I have that, that's not really my domain anymore, but the website is the central focal point for everything. So, BudapestStreetProject.com. Wish you all the best with it. Hopefully, we can direct some traffic towards you and, uh, you know, spread the word. Wonderful. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Craig. Nice talking to you again after all these years. Indeed, Loved sir. It. Loved it. And you, this is my new domain. I haven't played music and other than the, the axe behind me, which doesn't really count, right? Because I'm a drummer, so as you know. So yeah. <laughs> I haven't played drums in a couple of years now. So I'm, uh, to use the old line from Friends, we're on a break. Right. But one right. of us thinks we are more than the other one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll let you work out who's Ross and who's Rachel, all right? All right. But yeah, podcasting's fun. It's kind of nice when people share their time with me and uh, hopefully I can get the message out there, whatever that message is. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Alex, all the best. Enjoy the rest of your night, mate. Thanks, Greg. You too. Cheers, mate. Bye. Ciao. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. On Facebook at Expat Music Pod. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And wherever you get your podcast from, I'm pretty sure you'll find us there too. Until the next one, this is Craig saying cheers.